Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast where we are trawling our way through the later seasons of the show, episode by episode, because I think they deserve it. Hopefully I'm less croaky than I was last time. But anyway, my name is Porn Hart, that's P-A-W-N Hart, I thank you very much. And today we're going to be covering episodes 13 and 14 of season 7. The Perfect Pair and Fame and Misfortune. Now that is a doozy of a double. The Perfect Pair was written by script editors Joanna Lewis and Christine Sonko and first aired on August the 5th. 2017. In a strange bit of symmetry, as this is an episode that ostensibly deals with grief, I should note that my father had suddenly died the previous week, so my actual recollections of this airing are blurry. I mostly remember a very hot summer, people awkwardly reacting to the news, and talking to an accountant for what felt like 18 years. In fact, he's still here. He's just nipped to the loo. I record these in breaks while he's gone for a poo. It's funny, that might seem like a really callous and uh, pat take on quite a significant event in my life. Um, And you'd probably be right. And that has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about today. The IMDb synopsis reads... Applejack and her siblings discover a few surprises when they set out to unravel the mystery of the feud between the Apple and Pear families. It has an aggregated rating of 9.5 from 728 ratings. 9.5, making it the clear winner in terms of episode rankings for the show on IMDb. Okay, so everybody, um, just limber up. Make sure you're sure you're comfortable in your seat. Um, Oh, some deep breaths. Ah, Let's build up, shall we? Okay. Blue Album by Weezer. Clearly better than Pinkerton. Anything? Right. You okay? You feeling all right? Moving up. The Godfather 2 is beautifully made. Beautifully acted, and pretty much pointless, as it doesn't really develop Michael's character any more than the first film, and yet seems to take about four hours to do it. Game of Thrones, the ending. Seemed perfectly logical to me. So, yeah. Um, hoping you get the idea there that this isn't going to be a consensus appraisal of of this episode because to be quite frank I'm not a huge fan of this one I don't think it's a bad episode I I don't think it's a very good one either and I hope I can explain that to a fair degree and it is alarming because I always expect to really like this episode all of the ingredients are there It's a Lewis and Sonko episode. They have written some of the best episodes of the show. Only a couple of podcasts back, we had a royal problem. Possibly my favourite episode of the show. Possibly. That Celestial Advice, a few episodes before that, which was almost as good. They're fantastic writers, and they have very specific gifts which elevate the show, I think. 
It's an Applejack episode. I love Applejack and she never gets her due. So an Applejack episode that is universally heralded by fans. How can I not appreciate that? It's an episode that, in spite of all of the restrictions placed on it by the the network for dealing with death, or rather not dealing with death, attempts to actually address some of the background of Applejack's parents. It's beautifully animated. There are some gorgeous scenes in here. The scene with the plough race, where Applejack's dad goes off course, crashes through the fence, and there's the whole meet-cute situation with uh, pear butter. It's beautiful, sort of lovely use of sort of parallax and depth. Great water animation for a flash. It's 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 lovely to look at. Lovely colour scheme, some really nicely realised locations. The setting of the secret wedding at the end is beautiful, both in colours and just the ideas used to make it seem like low rent and covert. I love the uh, fireflies in the jars for illumination. The voice acting, mostly, is excellent. Do you know what? I didn't know until yesterday when I was watching and making notes for this that the voice of Grandpere was William Shatner. I almost didn't believe it when I first read it. I mean, I've, I've always liked Star Trek and I never knew that William Shatner did voice work, let alone voice work for another of my favourite shows. And he's fantastic. From the outset, he has this lovely, rich, warm, sympathetic voice. It's kind of, it's wise and it's kind. And he deals with the uh, the two different ages of the character really well. It's a lovely performance. Uh, the rest of the guest cast quit themselves very well too. Peter New uh, does double duty and is uh, really surprisingly convincing as a female character. It's not really played for laughs, it's just... Uh, it provides a different timbre for the voice, and it is incredible that the same person is doing the voice for Big Mac as is doing the voice for Goldie Delicious. A really good performance. Well done, Peter. What's my beef? Well, it's not really a beef. It's more a sort of feeling that the flaws of this episode are not being acknowledged, and I think they are considerable. I get the impression that people like this episode for what it represents, or perhaps what they think it represents. A rounding out of the Applejack backstory, a superficially emotionally resonant Applejack episode, where they actually address the elephant in the room of the uh, Apple family. Again, whether they actually do this or not, or whether anything in this episode actually adds up to anything at all, is another matter. Now, I read in the NLP fandom article that this started as a running joke, this episode concept. It was about Applejack uh, having a a rival called Pear Steve. Now, this is just a, this is like a goofy side joke. And yet, oddly, through the course of writing, it seemed to evolve into this backstory for Applejack's dead parents getting together. Pre, pre-death. Don't misunderstand me. This isn't that bizarre. And this, I think, indicates something of the tonal oddness that it doesn't unbalance the episode, but there are senses that it is taking something that should be really quite serious rather flippantly. 
I think the consolidatory example of this is uh, the conversation with Granny Smith right at the end of the episode where Applejack, Big Mac and Apple Bloom get back to the farm uh, and basically say, oh, hey, Granny Smith, we've been learning about our parents. And she basically goes like, oh, you have, have you? And she does like the hot under the collar sort of thing. And it's like, what, what is this? This is something that she's hidden from her kids, evidently a source of great sadness and regret, and it's being played off like some Jerry Lewis shtick. Why? I can't believe you've done this. Yeah, this isn't actually too serious. I know, <laughs> I know that sounded very hyperbolic, but it's, it doesn't unbalance the episode at all. It's just weird, and I kind of wish they'd settled on a tone, because it does feel very much like an episode that started as a joke, and they tried to shoehorn serious elements in, but they just couldn't balance the two quite successfully. And yet, for an episode that started as a joke, it's not very funny, is it? So it has the self-seriousness of a drama without fully embracing the dramatic side of it. Now, a lot of this episode is centred around the retelling, sometimes literally, sometimes in flashback form, of the story of Pear Butter and Bright Mac. And while it's a, it's a solid story, it is no doubt for a great many people a very relatable story, and probably for young kids it, it might be their first introduction to this kind of tale. It's basically the Romeo and Juliet principle, the two rival groups and the two who defy the rivalry in order to get together and are castigated as a result. In fact, if they played more to the Romeo and Juliet side of things, that might not have been too bad. However, with William Shatner's character saying, no daughter of mine is going to make goo eyes at an apple, it's got a really uncomfortable kind of guess-who's-coming-to-dinner vibe. Now, kids might not be feeling this, but I think for anyone any older, it does have connotations of race commentary. And for an episode that doesn't want to get into too much detail and can't afford to get into too much specific detail about what is actually happening and what happens to these characters, and also wants to be a bit goofy and fun, this is weird. Why? Why have they drawn these parallels? But yeah, to actually circle back to my original point, the problem with this central plot is that it is really hackneyed and unoriginal. The characters in themselves aren't interesting. This is a very cliche, forbidden romance story. And rather shockingly for Lewis and Sonko, who are quite good at subverting things or adding a, a sort of very relatable, de-Hollywoodizing edge to things... This feels like a really chintzy sort of mid-afternoon melodrama. I'm sorry, that sounds so harsh, but I'm rather, rather surprised that they didn't try and mix it up a little bit. It's so treacly, they're courting and unsurprising in how it emerges, that I almost expected, because it was being told as it was remembered by other characters. I've expected it to be subverted at some point. Like, well, that's not, not how it happened at all. Now, that would have been cool. And I'm not just talking about, oh, yeah, flipping the script for the sake of it. I mean, making it a little less like twee Hollywood hack work, because that's the key word here. It's twee. 
And for a show that should, more often than not, be twee and isn't, this really is cheesy and cliche. It's very unfortunate that recently I have watched Hearts and Hooves Day, which almost comments on this episode, ironically using one of the characters who is a narrative voice in this episode, Mrs. Cake, to comment on how vile and sickly a lot of the cliche romantic moves of the brainwashed characters are in that episode. Here there's no such awareness. I think we're almost supposed to assume that this is intrinsically heartwarming or tear-jerking, like, oh, by retelling this, this classic tragedy story, it's intrinsically going to be moving or touching. I don't necessarily find it so, because they don't bother investing the characters with any depth or giving their moves any degree of uniqueness. This really isn't the problem of the voice actors who do a really, really good job, uh, like Felicia Day as Pear Butter, who really does deliver the final scene and confrontation with her father. Well, absolutely no discredit to the storyboarding, the animators, the artists. They do a fantastic job here. It is, unfortunately, a script issue. I think some people like lore and new characters and the deepening of the pool of background story rather more than I do. And so to have an episode that introduces so many background characters or pointless background details about characters we know, like Mrs. Cake having another name for some reason, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't actually have any fundamental value, I don't think. It's just facts. It's a bunch of facts that don't really add up to much. And none of these characters really have much of a big role to play going forward. Which is a shame, because like in the scene with uh, Burnt Oak, who was both a cool design and a, a lovely performance, um, there is this wonderful broaching of the subject of death. So you've, you've come to talk about your parents, have you? And this is sort of sad, awkward acknowledgement by Big Mac and Applejack that, yes, that, that, that is why they're there. And he basically sits down and says, good. I like talking about it. It is good to talk about these things. It's a lovely scene. But if you're expecting any more about the subject of the passing of Applejack's parents in this or grief, you're going to be disappointed. I wish they'd made more of that. But it seems still, and I'm very glad it exists, that the go-to MLP episode that deals with grief without being allowed to overtly deal with grief is still Tanks for the Memories from Season 5 which is a banging Rainbow Dash episode and is far better at balancing comedy and pathos than this one. What really surprises me about the script here is how uncharacteristic it is of Lewis and Sonko. Not in terms of its theme or its tone, that I don't mind. It's how exposition and dialogue heavy it is. I've said about seven jillion times, with only slight exaggeration, that Lewis and Sonko are probably the best show writers at disguising exposition, or making exposition emotionally resonant, and showing rather than telling. However, in this case, a lot of stuff is just said in monologue, over the top of it being illustrated, or even worse, you're just listening to a character talking about something that happened without seeing it. And the episode basically amounts to Applejack 
Big Mac and Apple Bloom going from character to character asking about how great their parents were and being told that all their parents were great. It's not that interesting plot-wise and it is really dry and the lack of comedy or at least sharp comedy that isn't sort of rom-com tropism really doesn't help. Now there's a lot of things about the ending that I do like. I do think that the final confrontation at the secret wedding is really well played and actually does, you know, ring a degree of uh, of emotion from the circumstances. But then, well, as I implied before, there's the unfortunate comedic misfire of the of the Granny Smith encounter, and then the the, the conclusion just seems a little rushed. Now the the image of the intertwined apple and pear tree is, is lovely. I do really like that. But it's not sufficiently built to, and it's not almost given sufficient space to breathe. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah, I am sorry if this has upset anybody in terms of the criticisms I've levelled at the episode, which seems to mean a lot to a lot of people, but... I think if we are being objective, or rather attempting to be objective about it, there is a lot that isn't great about this episode. It relies on cliché too much. It is too exposition-heavy. Uh, it assumes emotional impact rather than actually trying to work for it. And yeah, in spite of the fact that it, it is beautifully realised, the production values are high, the voice acting is great this really isn't a very effective episode on balance. I really do not think that this deserves to be lauded to the degree it has been, probably due to what people feel it represents. Um, if you love the episode and, and, and what it represents, yeah, I can understand you giving it a personal 9.5. But if you're actually looking at it on the level that this is the highest rated episode of the show is, I feel, slightly absurd. I think it's almost like a a snowballing effect that has occurred here. So, much as I want to love this episode for all that it seems to offer, it's a six. It's not over yet. And now, as they say, for something completely different. Our last episode, I, I described the incoming batch as a, a very interesting selection of episodes for varying reasons. Uh, I described one of them as being underrated, one of them as being overrated, and one of them as being divisive. Now, this is the one that I described as divisive. But beyond its subject matter and the way it deals with it, it is also a significant episode for another reason. Fame and Misfortune was first aired August the 12th, 2017, and was written by one M.A. Larson. This is the first time that I have covered M.A. Larson on, on this podcast. It is certainly not his first time working with the show. He was one of the key writing staff for the first three seasons, and uh, made a significant impact on season five as well. Uh, after sitting out the fourth. His show debut was in the first half of season one with Swarm of the Century. Uh, it was a really solid, fun episode, that. 
but I think it's the the couple of Rainbow Dash episodes later in season one that really sealed his reputation with the fans, uh, particularly the Cutie Mark Chronicles, which is still uh, regarded as, as something of a classic. I think the archetypal Larson stretch, though, is season two, for better and for worse. It feels, although he wasn't the showrunner, he wasn't the script editor, that M.A. Larson's tendency towards often funny, but usually pretty flippant comedy uh, is all over season two. A lot of the screwball wackiness of that season seems to emanate from him. He wrote the opening two-parter, Return of Harmony Parts 1 and 2, Lunar Eclipsed, Super Speedy Cider Squeezy 6000 with the famous rug pull Applejack message at the end. He wrote seven episodes for season two, actually, which is a couple more than uh, than Megan McCarthy, who would shortly be taking over. He seems often to have been given the unenviable task of covering key moments in the show. Not only the start of season two, not only the episode that explains how every single member of the main six got their cutie marks and the bond that unites them. In season three, he only contributed two episodes. However, they're both significant, unfortunately. Magic Jewel, which is silly but fun, is the return of Trixie, who the fans had been clamouring for, for, well, since she first appeared, really. But most pointedly, the final episode of season three, Magical Mystery Cure, which was heavily compromised. It was supposed to be a two-parter, and they were fighting quite hard on the creative staff to have it be a two-parter. In the end, it got squished down to one. And so they had to do a musical with a considerably high-stakes story and have Twilight elevate to Alicorn Hood in the same episode in just 23 minutes. Ah, there are good elements in that episode, but it was almost doomed to fail and doomed to be received with mixed emotions. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So he came back for season five, uh, co-wrote The Cutie Map, which was a really good two-parter, introduced Starlight Glimmer. He also wrote uh, Amending Fences, which showed that he could indeed deal with more emotionally resonant material. It's a great episode. Possibly his best? Hard to say. That was the last episode he wrote prior to this one. But the episode before that, episode 100, is probably the best place to pick up the story from. Slice of Life. A big anniversary episode that aired June 13th, 2015. Supposed to be a, a thank you to the fans. A gesture they didn't need to make. Full of fan references, fan characters, a, a, a sweet idea. I mean, it is it is by its own merit a sort of a, a silly screwball caper. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's fun. It's fun, and it was a super kind gesture by a really genuinely magnanimous staff. Time passes. We're now in the closing stretch of 2017, and M.A. Larson is called back one more time to write an episode, not as a gesture to the fandom, but ostensibly about fandom. So, fame and misfortune. 
has an IMDb aggregate score of 7.8, which is kind of, this is good. It doesn't really declare any more than that. The synopsis reads, Ponies begin to argue over who wrote the best lesson after Twilight publishes her friendship journal. Oh, so meta. We've already had a pretty meta episode about the main six with All Bottled Up earlier on, which sort of played off the somewhat more abrasive friendships of the newer characters against the apparently more secure, lovey-dovey type of relationship that the main six seem to hold. Had a little bit of fun with that. Perhaps a little too much fun with it. I did really like the episode, though. It was a very funny Lewis and Sonko offering. With a very cool song. Which this episode also has. Hi. I'm Raymond. I'm from Raymond World. Where everyone is called Raymond. And that's the bit. If anyone can remember what Game Grumps episode that is off, please tell me. Because I love that clip and I can never find it. So, this is an M.A. Larson episode. It's very funny. That almost goes without saying. He's not always hit the bullseye, but this, this is a very characteristically snappy, slightly subversive bit of Larson pie. The humour is almost entirely character-based here, so it does work. I absolutely love the scene at the, the cutie map table where the main six are looking at the original copy of the Friendship Journal. And as we've only had these things recounted in voiceover before, we can actually see how they're written by the characters, what they look like, what form they take. Uh, And I just love how each entry represents each character. Applejack's is very business-based, like she got distracted by her job. It's kind of scruffy and there's a squashed apple in it. Rarities is, is... Beautiful calligraphy, as one might expect. Rainbow Dashes is bizarre. Uh, I, I, I kind of wish they'd gone into more detail or we'd seen a bit more of that because it's it seems almost abstract expressionist. Anyway, I think the best is Fluttershy's. I mean, M.A. Larson does tend, I'll admit, to mock Fluttershy, make perhaps too much of her meekness, which I'll admit is, is leavened in this episode. But uh, her entry is absolutely tiny in the corner of the page, apparently because she wanted to make sure everyone else had enough room to write theirs. And that is such a, that's such a sweet Fluttershy detail. It is also interesting that Twilight producing the Friendship Journal after all of these years uh, for Starlight Glimmer, who seems uh, nonplussed, and having it be sort of battered and falling to bits and dusty, and have her be excited, but no one else really understand why, that oddly moved me more than any of the kind of manufactured pathos in the last episode. I don't know whether that says more about me than anything else, but I thought the the opening was great, because for all of its potential flippancy, and it can be flippant this episode... I think M.A. Larson doesn't lose sight of the emotional core of some of the things here, so kudos. This is an episode with a message, and one that I think was actually worth telling and overdue. I think it had to be one of the more comedic writers to do this episode. Um, 
because it relies on observation of fan discussion, observation of fan behaviour. By this point, the creative team would have been probably sick to the teeth of this kind of stuff. No doubt, definitely still appreciating the love that people have for the show, but probably pretty wary of how it manifests. I do love how meta this gets. It almost oversteps a line, but never quite does, I think. One of the pony shared Twilight was better before she got wings. That might still be the single most contentious crux point of the entire show. Having M.A. Larson reflect it as he wrote the episode where that happened, I think it cuts all the deeper. It is funny and true that people draw a line on some visual aspect, because basically that's all it is. And I have argued before, and will continue to argue, that the opportunities for other types of growth that Twilight Becoming a Princess offered actually benefited the longevity of the show, I think. I agree, I don't think it was well handled when it happened, and I don't necessarily, as I've already implied, think that is strictly M.A. Larson or the creative staff's fault. Oh, and if you ever had any doubt that the cutie map was an allegory for communism, Starlight Glimmer commenting that, uh, oh, she once used this spell to print off a certain manifesto indicates it, because the minute you think of Politics and manifesto, probably communism is the word that swings immediately into foreground. Anyway, the episode has a really nice path of escalation. Well, it seems to start with that, you know, oh, this is this is really nice. It's nice to have these things acknowledged. And then it gradually seems that people are kind of missing the point. And it becomes more and more overwhelming, sort of represented by the crowds getting larger and gradually sort of consuming Twilight's castle. I'm surprised they didn't comment on the castle, to be honest. There is perhaps a slight missed opportunity, and I I don't actually think that they could have done it any other way in this episode and have, have it satisfactorily balance out. Because what implicitly happens here is that the characters start in some ways representing what people expect of them and trying too hard to appeal to that. And it gets in the way of what they actually do. It runs them ragged. Applejack is the prime representation of this, that she's almost forced by her family values to actually house all of these intrusive, quote-unquote, appreciators. And it drives her spare. And uh, Wally is dropped in in the last scene very quickly, along with a few other hastily sort of sellotaped together messages that, you know, oh, well, well, we can't control what people think about us. We can, to a degree, control how we react to it. The other end of them coming out of it and actually learning to compartmentalise this stuff and leave it out there so they can get on with their lives isn't really explored. I don't think, as I say, that there really is time for that. I wish in some ways, because I don't think this would work as a double episode. I think that would have been too much for something that's so meta and fan-based. I think it would seem a little bit like a, a middle hoof. That metaphor makes no sense to the fans to have a double episode that's effectively criticising the worst excesses of fandom. But yeah, it mounts to a point of uh, of hysterical chaos that probably M.A. Larson is better at cultivating than anyone. 
even in his first episode, Swarm of the Century, it ended at the sort of lowest ebb of complete chaos and destruction. And it just ends there. I think he's the only writer for the show that does that. And here he kind of does it again, where the fans, or rather most of them, that's an important distinction, do not relent. They do not seek a kind of understanding or a middle ground. They're just there, outside, and it's up to the main six to try and get by with them being there. And I do think that the creative staff earned this episode. And I think it's such a shame that so many people watching were not sufficiently self-aware to understand what was happening with this episode. I mean, that sounds quite patronising, but to be honest, if you are going online every day criticising the show staff, saying they got it wrong, thinking that it's incorrect because it doesn't match what's in your head, and then have the source of this come back and say, well, you're not perfect yourself. You do this, this, and this, and we don't like that. And then go, how dare you? That's such an alarmingly imbalanced sense of privilege. I don't want to go too far into this. I've already spoken about this in a previous episode. And it's nothing new. It's nothing new to fandom. It's nothing new to this one. But yeah, the episode culminates. It's message, it's point, in a really good, snappy song with one of the most beautiful visual realisations of any of them, I think. Uh, it really made me appreciate the use of lighting and sort of shadow. It's a lovely, rich musical production. That's no, it's never over-cluttered either. It focuses in quite closely on the characters for a change. There's not lots of gimmicks going on, but it works really, really well. Well, I feel for the most part, um, and as embodied in this song... The message of the episode is pretty on point, uh, a pretty deserved plea for understanding and appreciation from the creative staff, if that indeed is what they were going for. It certainly seems so. It, it kind of does get a little bit muddled in terms of are they talking about the characters, are they talking about the creative staff, because there are certain things that Twilight says that seem to indicate that it's directly referencing character behaviour rather than just creative choices in general and trusting creative people and passionate creative people to actually know how they wish to and are able to tell a good story with good characters in a way that satisfies them and hopefully other people get out of. Well, one of the... Uh, the mob says aloud something to the effect of your behaviour doesn't, doesn't match the character in this book, which is a classic criticism. You know, you could argue that I actually indulge in this, unfortunately, where I have a conception about the limits of a character. It is negotiable and I don't have any right to a creative stake. I know that. But Twilight recalls and said, characters, we're real ponies, and these things actually happen to us. And that's slightly confusing. I mean, you could say, yes, it's the, it's the writers, you know. They draw on their own experiences. They tell the stories they feel they need to tell. They have a message they want to impart. No one else can actually enforce that. But the problem is, <laughs> taken rather literally, a lot of these things one would expect have not happened to the creative staff of the show. I mean, if 
Return of Harmony was a genuine life experience of M.A. Larson. I, I want to meet this guy all the more so and sit down and say, so tell me what happened after you and your friends got brainwashed in a hedge maze and turned against each other. Tell me whoever wrote Shadow Play Parts 1 and 2 about the time you, you brought back the dead at a henge, yeah, and why you thought that was a good idea. Sorry. Speaking of fan privilege... Oh. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. But yeah, it does sort of fumble a bit to actually find the core of its message. Maybe, understandably, because it doesn't want to be too direct and literal that this is a plea from the makers of the show. So just like, yeah, cut us some slack, for goodness sake. At least try and understand why we've made the decisions we've made. If it was honestly like the creative staff versus the fans, the episode, that would probably be a step too far. So it has to try and draw it back into the understandable world of the characters. I don't know if it entirely successfully does this, but it does it well enough. And I think, on balance, this is a really entertaining episode. It's very funny. It does border on flippancy, but it is unfortunately also very well observed in terms of fan behaviour. I mean, how can it not be well observed? These people had Twitter accounts. I mean, I've heard criticism. I think it was uh, Silver Quill who said, who honestly is going to care whether Applejack and Pinkie Pie are actually related? Oh, there are people. And whether or not that question has been directly asked to them, it does represent this need for clarification for solid, impermeable rules that a lot of fans seem to hold, and it is an unreasonable expectation. A lot of literature, a lot of art is going to disappoint you if you rely strictly on continuity of law. Goodness, don't try reading the Sherlock Holmes novels. I mean, I haven't, but it, 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 it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, doesn't it? Maybe in some way it's just that this is a, a really refreshing funny break from the last episode's sort of slightly tedious self-seriousness. But I do think this is a good episode. I think it's a necessary episode. I think it's a fun episode. And I, I love how far he goes with the characters. Cool song too. 8.5. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? I don't deliberately try to make myself unpopular. I don't deliberately try to be a contrarian. I find contrarianism for its own sake to be really annoying. But I have to acknowledge how I feel. I'm not doing it to try and hurt anybody. I'm really not. But I enjoy trying to objectively analyse the things I love. It adds an extra level of, of value to them. And in many ways, I think, once I have done that... Uh, and I, I've cut something to pieces in, in a rather more cruel and clinical way, and yet I still love it at the end, and perhaps love it even more for its flaws, perhaps. I think it's all to the good. Acknowledging the flaws in something does not mean you stop loving it. And I love the show. I know um, a lot of this is probably personal preference and of course is going to be based on what I think aesthetically are the most important aspects. It is entirely possible always that I miss the point or there is a key 
avenue of aesthetic appreciation that I am completely missing in my appraisal of some of these episodes, but I'm only one pony. And if you do have counterpoints or can effectively debate any of the things I'm saying here, I really, really, really want to hear from you. I promise I won't jump down your throat and get aggressive about it. I I, I love the back and forth of this stuff. It's really important. But I do rely (laughs) on you not coming in with your fists out expecting a fight because there are ways of talking about these things without getting mean. Anyway, um, sorry to end with a lecture there. As always, if you would like to get in touch, you can reach us by email at allplottedout at outlook.com. That's all lowercase, all one word, allplottedout at outlook.com. Or contact us on the Facebook page at allplottedout. You can leave comments now on Spotify under the episode details. And you can also vote for which was the favourite of the two episodes we covered this week. Haven't had a great response to that yet, but I leave the polls open for a year, so hope springs eternal. Anyway, regardless of if you comment or not, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe. Stay well, stay tolerant, and if you find yourself brainwashed in the middle of a hedge maze, no refunds. See you later. Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.